0: hello real talk listeners welcome back welcome back to our last episode in this series of HR best Practices and we're here helping candidates uh, during the time where unemployment rate is on the rise. So interesting part you know this is the last episode to our series. We have Michelle Elder, my business partner with me from Real Talent um, but we have AJ Vollmuller back again. Hello AJ. how are you? Hi, AJ. Oh,
1: it's great to be back. We're making this a weekly thing.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's so interesting because last time we were together, we spoke about the business perspective. And as businesses in early December were getting ready to start, um, you know, recruiting efforts maybe for the new year, now we have kind of a different dynamic where, you know, gosh, in two days, it's going to be 2021. And so it's super interesting to talk through new year initiatives. Um with an organization, because that's when a lot of people obviously have closed out their fiscal year. And now they're like, okay, we we did a hiring freeze in Q4, and we are ready to potentially hire again for our new fiscal year, whenever that may be. Obviously, we know companies have different fiscal years, but many of them do run on a calendar cadence. And so, We're here to talk through on this series or this episode of the series, um, how we can help not from a business perspective, but to our listeners who are job searching, whether that's struggling during the pandemic or, um, struggling just any time. Like I said, if you're listening in this podcast, whatever time it is for you, and you're thinking about looking for a job, whether it's actively or passively, um, this is a good episode because we're going to have some great insights uh, from AJ and Michelle for you. But before we do get started, we do have a kind of like a Dear Abby, but we call it Dear Real Talk. Um, We have a Dear Real Talk from a listener who has presented and shared their story with us. So I'd love for us to kind of talk through that and get some insights from both you, AJ and Michelle. Um, So here goes. Dear Real Talk, I've been on a job search for months now. I was laid off from my company the first week of April and have yet to obtain a position. I've gone through the interview process with a few companies now, and some aren't quite sure they are ready to hire yet, but are keeping me on the burner, and others tell me I'm great, and then notify me that they've gone another direction. It's really confusing, and I'm struggling as I'm seeking out positions that are below my current grade of expertise in learning and development, and even have considered working entry-level at Walmart. I'm holding off on the last option, but could really use some help here. What do candidates do when they, they are overqualified in a market where many people are unemployed? And how can we get back to where we were?
1: If you're being told you're overqualified, I think that comes down to you. You're searching for jobs that you are overqualified for. It could be out of desperation. It could be out of misreading the job description. It could be out of the job description not being thorough enough and it's not really your fault. But nonetheless, if you are applying for a job that you are, I don't wanna use the word beneath, that you know you are overqualified for, the chances are you're not going to get hired for it. And the reason for that is not because, you know a lot of people, are, why wouldn't a company want to hire somebody that can do the job 10 times over? simple explanation. Because you get that job, you're going to get bored in it. You're going to be able to do everything you possibly can. And when they don't have anything else for you to do, now you're just wasting company's time. And in that time, because you're bored, you're probably looking for another job that's actually going to help you advance your career rather than keep it steady or even perhaps hurt it a little bit by working a job that's a few steps or one step backwards from where you are. So paying attention to job descriptions And really reading through them is key in this. Now, as for getting back to normal, as much as everybody wishes, as soon as 2020 ends, January 1st, 2021, snap of a finger, everything goes back and 2020 is behind us. Unfortunately, that's not realistic. 2020 is going to bleed right over into 2021. We're not going to know the difference. Uh, January 2021 is going to be identical to December 2020. So it, it... People waiting for 2021 to hit because things are going to change. Fingers crossed they do, but I, I feel like you're going to be waiting a long time. So it, whether you, whatever you plan on doing in 2021, there's nothing stopping you from doing it right now. Nothing is going to change. And looking for jobs, I mean, right now, the job market, pretty unstable. Uh, you have people that are in their current jobs that have them and they don't want to leave. They're not going anywhere as a recruiter, I'm sure. As you know, Maria, it's, You have people that want that security because they're afraid to go somewhere else. Even if it is a better opportunity, even if it is more money, they would much rather keep the stability than chance it for moving forward, which is a different mindset than we're used to. Everybody used to be gung-ho. I want to advance my career. I want that next step. I want that extra 10 grand or 20 grand or whatever the bonus is. You know, there's always enticing factors um, to lure talent to a new company, but now it's it's all about structure. It's all about support and stability. And when they're interviewing during a company there, it's very hard for a company to be able to portray that to a new candidate. So that's where the candidate comes into play. And you have to do your research. You have to look up the company culture, look up the company history. Don't just look up their LinkedIn profile and they're about us and think you did all the research in the world. You have to dig deep. You need to go on Glassdoor. Now I'm not a big fan of Glassdoor because I believe that it's very biased. Uh, when people have complaints about their company or their current employer, they want to tell everybody So because they're mad. They, they want to they give a bad name to the company. They want other people not to contact the company or get hired there. But on the flip side of that, when you have somebody that is excited about being an employee and they keep rising up in the company, they're so happy, they don't go to, to Glassdoor to say that. They go out for drinks with their friends, or I guess that would be pre-COVID. They go on Zoom and have drinks with their friends now, you know, and and talk about it amongst a small group. So I would say that going on and seeing what the company culture is through Glassdoor is a good way, but don't take it all to heart. If you're going to really do research through Glassdoor, read two or 300 articles and pull out commonalities. You'll see maybe one or two commonalities. The coffee's bad, you know, five times in a row. Okay, so you know the coffee's bad, but... If you just see one-offs, don't take them to heart, but you can get a good sense of how much turnover the company has. You can look at some of their employees on LinkedIn that are in the same position that you're applying for and see what their tenure's been at that company. Um If it's a smaller company, they might it might be more of a rotating door. If it's a, I mean a, a bigger company, it might be more of a rotating door. Smaller companies right now have the advantage. They value their employees. They are doing everything they can to keep their employees because it costs them an arm and a leg to retrain. The one thing candidates don't realize is that companies have a 25%-ish burden on top of every candidate they hire, which means whatever your salary is, the company per year is paying 25% in addition to your salary because of the insurance, because of you know just all the burdens that come along with that. So and even the training, it costs money to train a candidate now big money big companies have that money to burn. They say, "Okay, we lose 20 grand in training because it didn't work out. We'll just reapply it to the next candidate. Small companies can't do that. They value their candidates, they value their employees, they make it work for them they'll most of them will go to the world's end to try to save a candidate and help them rather than hire new. so my advice is nowadays, I would say start looking for the smaller companies. they're the ones that at least during this time, are probably going to value you and treat you better.
2: Two things, AJ. You said two things and I want to circle back to them. Shoot, I hate when this happens. I forget stuff.
1: <laughs> I kind of went sidebar, and I don't know if I even circled back around. To- oh,
2: no, Glass. So the first one, I got it. The first thing was um, Glassdoor. I think you nailed it there. I have, every time I've looked into a company, I've always gone onto Glassdoor, but I'm doing it knowing that I'm looking for repeated patterns, right? It's it's not that one-off, it's when I hear it. And it's also even, I even look into, um, like you said, who is saying it. So a lot of times you might get those employees that work, that do the work, typically referred to as operations or people that work in the operational part. And you might find that they have a completely different perspective than the folks that have more corporate-based or office-based Jobs and and that tells you a lot, but it really is about looking for the patterns in the stories and not just the comment that this is a bad place. Because (laughs) one of the things that Marie and I talk about a lot when it comes to culture is that um, company culture is virtually impossible because it all depends on that work group and the leader of that work group, right? So you might have a company that is considered not good to work at, but you've got a great boss. So your work group is amazing. So I think it's really looking at the bigger picture and not focusing in on one thing. Uh, The other thing, let's go back to the, your advice on the dear, uh, the dear real talk listener, because exactly what you said has happened to me before. So I left a job of 20 plus years to step into a role that I would not say I was, okay, I was overqualified for, I was, (laughs) and um, I knew someone that worked there, so I had some insight, and I knew someone that worked on that HR group, I had some insight into the culture, it allowed me to start, stop traveling, the extent that I was in my previous job, Um, I would have been remote based, so there were about a million reasons that it was good for me, I was also, to be honest with you, desperate to leave that company of twenty years. So, I would have taken the down in a job just to get a job at the time. And I made it through every step in the interview process, made it to the chief people officer. And as we were going through the interview process, he said, Here's my problem. You're going to get bored, and we will have invested in you already. I think, truthfully, the only reason that I was able to still get the job is because i had already thought through all of those, and we were able to talk through what that looked like. In fact, um, he had mentioned things like promotional opportunities once I was in place, and I said I wasn't willing to move to Columbus under no circumstances. I had something in my personal life, and I wasn't willing to leave my family for that, and so he and I talked a long time about what that meant about my career and how long it was going to take me to get bored and how I was going to tackle that because he didn't want to invest knowing that I might walk away. It ended up being almost two years uh, before I found another opportunity. But I had to, I was prepared to go into that conversation because I'd already talked to previous people about the fact that my resume said something completely different, (laughs) um, overqualified for the role that I was taking.
1: Now, let me ask you a question, Michelle. You said that you were in that role for two years before leaving. Yeah. of those two years, how long was spent looking for the other role before you actually left?
2: Less than four months. and only that was only the time frame because there was a family crisis within that time frame, so I had to pause the interview process. Okay. So I would say if it weren't for that probably 45 to 60 days that I paused it probably would have happened in and honestly, I wasn't looking. A recruiter reached out to me and I entertained the offer because I figured what could it hurt?
1: That's, you know, I tell people all the time, and I understand recruiters are a dime a dozen these days, and people's.
2: That is totally going on a shirt, AJ.
1: <laughs> reaching out via LinkedIn, you should always keep your options open. I never ask a candidate, are you looking for a new job or are you on the open market? It's very easy to say no. But if you ask them, are you keeping your options open? The human psyche, Makes you feel almost closed-minded if you say no because it's very different. You're not on the open market, but you're keeping your options open. And I feel that's true. What people should be doing, even if you're currently happy at your job, you're making the money you want, you got great friends, your work-life balance is perfect. Why not? What's the worst that can happen if you entertain another offer or entertain another position? You don't like it. I mean, it can it can only do nothing or perhaps provide something better. It can't hurt. And that's the way I look at anything in life. If it can only do nothing or be better, why not try it? So it comes down to really sifting through those emails, figuring out the ones that were actually sent with a little bit of background information, not just a copy and paste from a dime a dozen recruiter. And, you know, we call them DAD recruiters, dime a dozen recruiters. So, you know, that's not just copied and pasted and, and sent out to 100 different people in a day, it's actually personalized. Those are the ones you want to react on. Those are the ones that you know that recruiter will actually work for you and with you, not just treat you like somebody that's coming through all across their desk. And if you don't get the job, the next person will. Um, that's, that's the differentiating point is looking for the recruiter and making sure you keep your options open.
2: So, if you look back in let's well, let's just say pre-COVID. So, like first of the year, end of last year, the conversations I had with leaders at organizations was completely different. Like we were heavily focused on internal development, succession planning, and it was because applicants had the ability. Like employees were a dime a dozen, and applicants could really demand. And you know, like like you're even talking about the. The last three jobs I had, I was recruited and I did exactly what you said. Like I said down the beginning and it's like, if I'm going to entertain this, let me list all of the things that I need because there were, I mean, there were multiple people in there so as the company has to meet this, the culture has to look like this. These are the learning opportunities I'm going to need to have access to. And so I was able to really go into that as a job I'm not going to call me a seeker because never once was I actually seeking. It just happened. But a job, what do we want to call that? Come on, Maria, you come up with things. Entertainer? A job entertainer. Let's do that.
1: Better than entertaining job.
2: <laughs> I know, exactly. So it really put me in that position where I could say, what company will I take that next step for um, if I'm going to walk away from this? But now the market feels completely different. And now employers sort of have that advantage because they're getting so many more applicants, even like like with our Real Talk listener that are overqualified, just trying to find something. So now I almost feel like we have to shift from where before we were giving employers advice on how to keep great talent. Now we need to talk to those other people, right? And give them advice.
1: How you just worded that, is exactly how and why i had to pivot my staffing agency pre and post-covid um after all my clients stopped hiring i realized it's the candidates that need help now it's not the employers looking it's the candidates that need help so that's when i started the resume writing service because the fact of the matter is yes you can get yourself the job you cannot get yourself that initial interview your resume has to do that you, you there's it's nothing about your personality uh, nothing about anything at all. The only way you get that initial interview is through a resume. So resumes, especially in today's market, are the hot commodity. They need to stand out. They, resumes follow trends, much like fashion. Ten years ago, it was common to put your face on your resume because it wasn't frowned upon to hire for looks. You know, nowadays... <laughs> You can't do that it's highly frowned upon I'm sorry it wasn't it wasn't frowned upon back then, but it is now because you don't want that uh, so there's a lot of trends that go, and following the trends as a recruiter still looking through hundreds of resumes a week, you see you know what works. so a lot of the resume services out there are not recruiters. they are just more professional writers they don 't follow the trends. I see resumes a lot that people pay for that I wouldn't even submit to my to my clients. So a good resume is where it all starts. It also gives you the confidence to apply. If you apply in with a resume that you're shaky about, it's not a good feeling. It's not setting off on the right foot even if you do get the interview. You're kind of like, "Wow, I can't believe I got it." And that's not the way you want to go into it. So starting the process with submitting a good resume is the first part of feeling confident, having confidence in your resume, I think that's where the job seekers nowadays really should be focused: is getting that initial interview. Your personality and you can and skill set and background can take it from there, but you got to get that first interview. And in the, today's job market, it's going to be tough.
2: Two things. So, what are your thoughts on? Marie, I'm not looking for a job, so it's okay. But I might-
1: (laughs) She's over there like uh, writing up a job description, looking to replace Michelle.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So two things. What are your thoughts on people who, um, I've heard this from a couple of individuals who they want to customize their resume for the different jobs that they're applying for. Good thing?
1: 1,000% a good thing. I I tell everybody the the day and age of one size fits all resumes are gone you know, in in the header or in the objective statement, which I'm not a fan of, but we won't go there right now. A lot of times you can tell it's extremely generic. Looking for a job at your company, like at least put in the time and effort. If they're going to put in the time and effort to review your resume, to entertain you as a candidate, put in the time and effort to know that you didn't send this exact resume to a hundred different employers or potential employers. Also job descriptions nowadays, the requirements that are in the bullet points the first four or five on your resume as long as i'm assuming it's a, you're qualified for the position first you want to take those skill sets and move them to the top four or five bullet points in your resume cuz sometimes unfortunately in hr a lot of the reviewers if you're not going through an agency or a direct recruiter and even sometimes internal recruiters they're not familiar with the actual job functions and the terminology and how to do it hands-on. The only way they're pre-qualifying is looking at a job description and comparing it directly to a resume. They're not able to decipher a resume and say, oh, yeah, you know they, they have HTML, so it means this and that. So if your resume doesn't scream, hey, I'm qualified for this job, look at me, it, more than likely, it's going to get passed off. So everyone should be tailored a little bit—not the formatting, just the organization of important things that the job description is looking for.
2: Okay, so that was great advice. Thank you. Second thing, I forgot, so we're going to move on.
1: <laughs> I think everybody's still full from Thanksgiving. It's kind know, of yeah, the turkey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um. So so we have a lot of topics. I haven't really chimed in very much, but you know, I think from a resume perspective. It's interesting because I think some will agree to disagree with you, AJ, depending on their level, uh, you know, when they when they have recruiters reach out to them uh, who are, you know, headhunters looking for them, um, they find them, you know, in some sort of way, whether it's, um, I know someone entry level who just has a general resume posted on Indeed that's always open for people to take a look at and always constantly gets people to reach out to them or, you know, on LinkedIn or something like that. So, you know, they they're, they haven't maybe refreshed their resume in, gosh, like, you know, two, three years or something um, or tailored it for the position. So it's interesting because I think some people that just have things just posted out there for, you know, entry level positions may challenge you a little bit. On updating or tailoring it for the job. Now, this is people, obviously headhunters reaching out to them and they're posting on you know kind of social networks. But I do think you're right when when you say you know, if you are, you personally are seeking out and searching out those qualifications. I think it is important because you're the one that's kind of putting in the work and the effort, and so it should be there for people to take a look at uh, for you know recruiters and businesses and hiring managers to be able to assess. It's a struggle for individuals. I think this is the part, the hardest part of the resume is how you tailor it to the job. I'll tell you, gosh, I think it was 2018 or 2019 when I was updating my resume, I used all these big fancy words and I then I gave it to my recruiter friend and she goes, what does this mean? And I'm like, oh gosh, and it's so yeah, I'm like, I'm, I'm speaking like I'm, you know, a Stanford or Harvard Yale graduate, like, you know, hiring for a position. And so it's, um, it's interesting because I see so many articles or, or people posting on LinkedIn, like, um, can you explain to me in layman's terms what your bullet points are? Like, can you keep it like very like normal? That's what recruiters are saying these days in articles is just like, hey, keep it as like short and sweet or as simple as possible you don't need to use like you know uh, Harvard, Yale, you know whatever type language in your your resume. simplify it and tell people in the most easiest way you know what you do or what you've done for that company.
1: I do agree with that. I mean one way to do that is put on quantifiable numbers, you know anything that produced an ROI or any if you're in sales metrics, I'd say of the resumes I get for both the career services for the resume, Writing and also as candidates, 70 percent of them to guesstimate read their bullet points, read more like a job description, rather than speaking to how they actually accomplished their job duties. I know what the job, job description is for a business analyst. I've read 100 of those job descriptions. I don't need to read it again on your resume. My question is, did you actually accomplish those jobs, and how? You know it doesn't matter if you led a team of 50 global sales reps if those sales reps never met their goal. So it's anything that you can put on your resume that has numbers always looks good. Numbers are easier to read. Numbers are also, uh, they can be proven. They're quantifiable. So anything quantifiable. Now, back to your point, Maria. Sorry, I sidebarred a little bit there. But there is a very different approach between being reached out to and applying out. If you have your resume posted on any of the 150,000 job sites out there, that nobody uses except for LinkedIn, um, (laughs) then 100%, you're going to have recruiters reaching out to you. Again, these a dozen recruiters, especially most of them are early on in their career. They're reaching and grabbing for anything. They don't care what your resume looks like because ultimately if they pre-qualify you and they have a good relationship with their client, like they should, they can hand your resume directly to that client with a little bit of a write-up that pitches you. And it'll take some of the burden off your resume not being all the way up to par because you're already considered to be pre-qualified on the other side of that if you're applying in you don't have that advantage of saying hey i'm pre-qualified so your resume needs to be easily pre-qualified without a conversation within six to eight seconds that little of time huh I mean that's what the average is that a resume gets scanned over. I look at a resume and I, I immediately scan it. For me, resumes are all about aesthetics, especially initially. I want it's ease of reading. I look at a resume. the first thing I want to see basically, I don't want to have to search for it. I don't want to have to read through paragraphs to find the information I want. I want to see your current company, your previous companies, your current job title and your dates of employment. Jump off the page at me in bold because that's where I make my first decisions. If you have the past five jobs you've been at for only six months apiece, more than likely, I'm probably not going to, unless you're a contractor and it's a contract position, there's exceptions to every rule, but more than likely, I'm going to kind of pass that off. But if you've been at your current job for five years and your previous job for seven and that type of track record, but your dates of employment are buried in your resume, I'm not going to spend the time to look for them either. So it's all about aesthetics initially. Like I said, your resume has to get you the interview.
0: Yeah. Uh, What about your LinkedIn profile?
1: LinkedIn profile, because LinkedIn recruiter and everything like that, it needs to mirror your resume. Uh, You don't want to leave any questions. If a recruiter or a resume reviewer has to have a question because there's a discrepancy between your resume and your LinkedIn profile, a lot of times I see it with dates of employment one of them's lying. And it's not our job, nor do we want to figure out which one. Because if you're lying about one of those, odds are you're lying about multiple other things. So LinkedIn mirroring your resume is very important. As for your about me section, recommendations, they're good if you're in business, but I see those as more secondary to actually... It's an electronic resume, basically. So your job history section should mirror your resume. And that's that's the most important part of it. Everything else is, you know, just thrills.
0: Do you know how many people actually pay someone to make their LinkedIn profile that's different, a different cost than their resume? <laughs>
1: yeah, I, I offer that package. Oh, yeah. I, really? When I created my resume writing service, I did it with the intent of helping people that had just found themselves on the open market. Perhaps they did not expect it. They were laid off after fifteen or twenty years. The last time they had to look for a job, they were scrolling through their local newspaper to the help web section. They're not familiar. They never thought they'd have to look for a job again. They don't. They don't have a resume. or They haven't updated their resume in years and years and years. They never created a LinkedIn because it, you know it, it just didn't advance. They didn't advance with it like that. Never thought they would, they would need it. So yeah, I offer that package, and a lot of people do come to me that are business professionals already, and ask me, Hey, how can I juice up my LinkedIn? And I'll look at their LinkedIn and tell them they're fine. The little biography part, it doesn't mean that much. I've looked at thousands of LinkedIn profiles. I can't even tell you the last time I read one of those. I go straight to the dates of employment and looking at the company history. You know, It's just the main core of it that you're looking for. And that's what I tell people, if you don't have a LinkedIn, create one. If you do, you're probably already good as long as it's updated.
0: As long as it's updated and it mirrors, just like you said, because I think there's so many people that pay for someone to take a look at it and notice that there's discrepancies between their resume and the LinkedIn profile on times of employment. And it's just, it's so surprising that, you know, and you could be looking at it a million times and not notice the difference or something, right, and not pick up on some of those things, but it is really important, truly really important to, to make sure that that all mirrors and aligns. And it's something you look at every day. It's like you walk in the door and you don't see the same problem or the same issue. So I, I think it's good for people to kind of take a look through that and make sure they're assessing their social media avenues.
1: Another thing that I see a lot, and I didn't realize this was not called a struggle, but this was common, is when you hold multiple different positions within the same company, there's a proper and an improper way to list them on your resume. The wrong way is to list that company and your title and then the dates of employment specifically for that title. And then below it, almost like another job, list the company again with the previous title and those dates of employment and so on and so forth. And what that says at first glance is all those were separate jobs and you bounced around every year and a half or whatever it was rather than seeing it as a promotion. So you want that company and that initial hire date or job date to reference your entire time there. And then you can break it down underneath to your different positions and the time with that. But I've seen a lot of resumes that I've almost passed off on because they've been with the same company for eight years, but they have each of their titles listed almost as a completely separate job at a different company. And looking first, you just see change a company. It looks like every year and a half and you, you kind of shy away from that.
0: Yeah. Good point. So, you know, we've talked a lot about through the resume and the LinkedIn process, but Michelle, you've recently um, been reading some articles on LinkedIn, you know, about the hiring process and when the good time, like the best time is to apply for a job and when the worst time is to not apply for a job or when people shouldn't or aren't considering looking for another job.
2: You know, it's interesting because when, when we talk about so many people being out of work and then we look at, what is, at least in uh, the United States, is one of the most expensive holiday times of the entire year, right? So money becomes important. But what what I've seen recently is a number of articles around how this is just a bad time. So I'll talk about my niece in particular. She was furloughed probably back in April. And She stayed because she really wants to go back to the company she was with. And they kept saying, yes, you'll come back. Yes, you'll come back. Yes, you'll come back. And it wasn't until, so that was April. And then three weeks ago, perhaps, they were like, oh, yeah, we're not hiring. Yeah, it's it's not a furlough anymore. You're fired. And so she's desperate to find a job because, well, you know, bills and things. Maria and I argue. AJ, Marie and I argue all the time. I tell her if it weren't for bills, I would be on a beach with an umbrella, drink. Um, I go to work because I have to. Maria goes to work because she wants to. The rest of the world just has to.
1: Barter and trade system. Get rid of currency altogether. Barter and trade. You know. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Except I, 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 nobody would need a job because nobody would need money. So I don't have anything to offer. So I'd probably get the raw end of that deal. <laughs>
2: A <laughs> like, harder time, but yeah, she's desperate to find a job, and what she's finding is companies are slower to respond than they were. Um, she's finding a lot of, even like our reader said, a lot of she's being put on hold, and it's almost like this teasing game of, can you just hang out with me a little while? So, what are your thoughts around job search during holiday time?
1: Don't do it. Don't d- for a couple reasons. Well, as you mentioned uh, specifically now, 2020, everybody's staying put. But as a recruiter, I quickly learned early on in my career the hot time to find a job is in quarter four of whatever that company's fiscal is, and only in like the first month and a half, two months. So let's say October into November is prime time because at that point companies and departments their books are open, they're looking at them, and they're realizing how much extra budget they really have. And every department wants to exhaust their entire budget so they can get more the following year. So they're saying, okay, we can hire this person now because we have this extra money, we need to get rid of it. So that's always a really good time, October, November, or if it's April and May, if they run a, a, you know, a fiscal year, like June to July, or whatever it may be. So that's always a really good time. Now, December, is typically a bad time to search for a job for quite a few reasons. One, realistically, there's only two weeks of work in December, maybe three for the good employees. But that fourth week, nobody's doing anything. Nobody's hiring. Companies don't want to make an offer because they don't want that headcount on their books before the new fiscal. And companies are closing their books at that time. Most companies spend the the final two weeks of December actively closing out their books, getting ready for the new year, implementing new budgets. They're not looking to adjust anything in those books because of a last minute hire. Also, if you hire somebody in December, even if they get hired the second week of December, they come to work for a week, then they've got basically a week off. Or if they don't have that whole week off between Christmas and New Year's, I can guarantee you that the corporate trainer does, what are they going to be doing? So it's just those last few weeks of December right around the holidays are typically a very, very tough time, I personally would suggest save it. Because if you apply into one of those companies in that time and they don't get back to you, I don't wanna use the word blackballed, but you're restricted from applying back in in a month later to get recognized because you've already applied in. So don't waste that. Don't send your resume into nowhere and then a new year hit, new year hits, just, just hold on and wait to that new year, new budgets, new books, new headcounts available. Typically by the second week of January, clients have their new job descriptions out. They know what they want. The hiring managers, are desperately clawing at the walls. We've got all this money. Hire me this person. We got this project. They've got a forecast for the whole year. So I would always say, wait until January to apply.
2: So if we were to look at someone that's, you know, maybe um, had some tough time over the past, actually all of us have had tough time, but, you know, unemployed and tough times over the past six months, and they're going to use December, let's just shake it off and let's just start over fresh. What would you tell them to do step
1: one? What what do you mean? They're going to start December. They're going to
2: shake off. All of like let's talk about that that job um lister. Like I'm gonna wipe the slate clean and I'm gonna go into the new year with my best foot forward during the, the interview or the selection process. Yep. What should they do first? Should they start with their resume and take a new look at it?
1: That best foot forward is your resume. Your resume is your foot. Unless some people, you know, if you're a referral. There's always one-off cases. If you're a of direct contact with the hiring manager. Your resume doesn't need to be up to par because you're physically going to hand it to them or you know somebody in common. There's a buffer in there. But if you're submitting into an ATS or you're submitting into an internal recruiter or even an external recruiter, then your resume needs to stand out in order to get recognized because no matter how good you are at your job and no matter how good you know you are at your job and nobody's better at it than you you don't even get the chance to tell that and express that unless your resume gets you that chance. That's what it comes down to. And odds are, if you're applying for a job, there's at least a hundred other applicants. I'm not saying they're all qualified, but you are competing in every job that you are applying to. Nobody's applying to a one-off position that nobody knows about. It's secret. And you've got the first dibs on it. It doesn't work like that unless you're an internal hire, you know? So, it comes down to really being able to present yourself well on a resume.
0: I think it's important too to network. If you're going to leverage time during a down period to reassess and revamp your resume, maybe using AJ services, which will cue. My plug. Your plug. Um, we, (laughs) I, I think you should also network. I think a lot of times, um, You know there's a lot of people that are doing like zoom happy hour you know meet and greets or um you know connecting with people finding people on you know social media or linkedin really reading articles maybe reaching out to those people that have written articles in regards to you know things that are transpiring that are interested to you or maybe in your realm your field at one point i was looking for you know um an HRS person. And so I was literally just taking a look at articles. There was like this whole like convention thing virtually that was happening with people to, you know, in workforce analytics. And that was a position, you know, I was seeking out for hiring as a manager, hiring manager. So I was like, hey, I'm going to go to this little meet and greet session, right? It's networking opportunity. I get to meet people. Potentially, I might be interested in position, maybe not, but it's a good opportunity for you as a candidate who's, who's going to like shake off, you know, gosh, since April, like it's December, you know, it's been months now that you're without a position and, you know, shake it off, go, you know, revamp and and try something new, get out of your comfort zone, because that's really what's going to make you stand up, stand out and stand apart.
1: Yeah. And one thing to do is if you haven't interviewed and in- whether you got laid off for COVID or COVID aside, if you've been in your current job for two or three years and you haven't interviewed in a while and you find that dream job, you're like, yes, I want to go for it. Don't make it your first interview. (laughs) Go out there, get an interview, apply to something that you're a little bit overqualified for. Apply to something you don't necessarily want. And I'm sorry to the companies that this happens to, but use that interview process to shake off the jitters, to understand. You know you're going to deny it. You're not in it because you want the job. You're in it to refine everything and and get those initial interview jitters out. Because if you apply to the job and interview for your dream job as your first interview in many years, more than likely you're going to shoot yourself in the foot.
2: Yeah. So practice. You know, it's interesting, Maria, when you talk about networking, um, it makes me immediately think something you said earlier, AJ, which is smaller companies is really the place to be um, during this situation. And and if you think about from a networking perspective, that's that's how a lot of deals are made when you're a smaller organization. It's people you know. In fact, to your point, Marie, I think three of my latest contacts for real talent were simply because I was at a networking event. So I think that's definitely a time to play it up. I love the idea about your test interview, we actually, uh, Marie and I both came from a FedEx office and uh, we used to talk even internally, we would say apply for it anyway. The interview experience is amazing. At least, yeah, the practice is amazing. So very good advice.
1: Uh, Another one that just popped in my head, I actually have a close friend of mine that did this. And I was curious when he did it to see how it was gonna play out. And it, it did work in his favor. He wanted a job with one of the major companies here in Philly, a big, you know, Fortune 100, Fortune 50 company, and he couldn't get in. He was applying in and you, you were keep your resume on file. So what he did is he found somebody that was a little bit higher up in that company through LinkedIn, just, you know, doing a little bit of research, reached out to a few people looking for a mentor. Most surprisingly, a lot of people that are high up in their profession are all about being a mentor they want to help they're they're not going to shoot you down they're not going to say no they're at least going to help you a little bit if not a lot so he asked this guy basically flat out can you be my mentor I'm, i'm trying to get in here i'm having trouble you know i'm not looking for you to make a phone call for me i'm looking for guidance and it worked He's still in contact with this person. They're, I don't want to say close friends, but he's got the job where he wants. He doesn't see this person during work at all, but they still communicate. He still sees him as a mentor. And it's just simply because he asked. He went out there. He was thinking outside the box of how to network, how to get a job. Everybody else at that point was still going to the red carpet events and, you know, all, all those, those typical networking things that everybody else goes to looking for a job. So you have to think outside the box. Personally, when I first moved to Philly and I was in recruiting a brand new city, no clients, nothing, and I was looking to network in a city I'd never been in, I didn't know what to do. I said, I don't want to be the traditional networker just going out to all these happy hours and you end up drunk with a whole bunch of business cards in your pocket and you don't remember who they came from or if they're even useful. (laughs) But you had a few free drinks or at least a $5 cover. So I actually... I was in a position where I was able to sign up and drive for Uber, for the Uber Black service with my car. And not everybody you're going to meet is going to be a good networker, but one out of every eight or 10 people you meet, you have conversations with, you network, you you can pitch your services, they pitch their services, you find a commonality. So I've actually gained quite a few networking contacts through just doing Uber. Now, this was a while ago. I, I don't have time anymore to go driving around, but when I was getting everything started, that's, that was one of the things I do. So thinking outside the box also works well.
2: And those, those more intimate conversations are really where it's at because you do get a chance to really dig in a little bit uh, versus, like you said, everybody's out there for the same thing.
1: A stack of business cards at the end of the day.
2: And you know what's interesting is as, a, as an extreme um, introvert, I'm, I'm, I'm a 30, I'm as high as you can be. I hate networking events, hate them. However, get me around a handful of people that are passionate and energetic about what they do. And I am there all day and all night. I've even been in situations where people are like, I think it's time to go home. And I'm like, no,
1: we're talking. The conversation is closed.
2: Yeah. So thinking outside the box and getting creative, there's just no excuse not to get out there and do it.
1: I agree.
0: Yeah. So... Any last words of advice for candidates, AJ, out there seeking and struggling to find positions in this market?
1: Are you look, I, I've seen you waiting to speak. I thought you were going to play devil's advocate. I was ready for it. You looked like you were ready. You had that face on. I was like, here we go. <laughs> um, I mean, that's normally how you are. you like to play devil's advocate, which I fully appreciate because normally that's me in that role. But, um, it, the one thing that yeah, your resume can't portray that most candidates forget to bring with themselves to the interview is their personality. And you can't walk into an interview and be straight-laced and uptight and think that you're being overly professional because that's the way it should be. For some companies, yes. Maybe in finance, things like that. But for the most part, culture comes into play nowadays, whether it's a Fortune 100 company or a mom-and-pop shop. Culture comes into play and As a recruiter, internal or external, when you're recruiting skill sets and you're having conversations, you're also paying attention to their personality. So I always tell people, please remember to bring your personality with you to the interview. Don't be too uptight because you want to leave a memorable impression. You want them to remember you for your personality and your skill sets. So obviously you can't put your personality on a resume, but your resume should have personality. Uh, It should not be bland. It should stand out. So that's one of the things that, you know, I geared towards with my resume writing service is making sure that your resume is standing out. It will get noticed. And, you know, with modern trends and resumes.
0: Yeah. The resume will get you into the door potentially, um, but you essentially will be able to sell yourself and get the job. So we could have a whole other session on personalities during interview processes. However, Today, we're just kind of helping all of our potential candidates uh, seek areas to really grow and expand on. And hey, if you think you have a good resume right now, maybe there's an opportunity to tailor it even better if you are struggling on finding a position uh, within an organization. Maybe you are getting the interviews, but you're maybe not necessarily getting any closure on it. With that being said, AJ, how do people get a hold of you? How do our candidates get a hold of you who are job searching to maybe get a review?
1: So I offer free resume reviews and feedback. I don't just say, hey, your resume is great, or hey, your resume is bad. I will give you feedback of, to what's wrong with it, modern trends, things like that. And then I do offer multiple different packages. Uh, resume update is called a resume tune-up is as low as $65. It's geared towards people that are not extreme high level in their position that just need the resume to stand out, but maybe they're unemployed. They don't have a few hundred dollars to shell out for resume in hopes that's gonna get them a job that you know they're making minimum wage at or something like that. So I have that geared towards the resume tune-up. Then I also have full resume overhauls right around starting at that $99 mark. But again, it's all free resume reviews and feedback initially, and it's freeresumerev.com. And you know, rev up your resume at freeresumerev.com. I received the resume, so it will be me personally going right to the email. I review them, and I get back to you within 72 hours of if there's any suggested next steps or you know, whatever the feedback may be. A lot of the resumes that come over, people think they're horrible, and they're good. Then they say, you know, they're like, really? To my surprise, I had a candidate argue with me. I hate my resume. I said, it is fantastic. You, your content is good, the organization, the format. Well, I hate it. She wanted me to charge her to fix it. There was nothing I would have changed. So I, I had to tell her to go somewhere else because I didn't want to. But yeah, it's uh, some people you never know. Your resume could use an update or it couldn't. Send it over for a free review. Can't hurt. Can only help.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Thank you so much, AJ. Thank you so much, listener, for writing into us. And there's so many of you out there. So hopefully... We gave you some great pointers to get a starting point for you. If not, reach out to AJ and team and uh, he will be able to help. So thanks for listening, uh, going into a new year and a new you. Hopefully you all have a successful journey in 2021 and beyond. So until next time, listeners, take care. Bye. The success. Bye, guys.